to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Well, again, welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want to thank all our volunteers and golfers who came out last week. We set a record here for the Mission Golf Tournament. We raised almost $50,000. All that money goes out the door to meet uh, needs of the folks in our community, both locally and globally. So I want to thank everyone uh, for coming out and making that such a, a successful time last Monday. Today we're going to continue our sermon series, Roots to Roots, looking at the creeds and confessions of our faith and church tradition. We, it's my claim that where we've gone or where we've come from points us, directs us to where we're going to go in the future, our roots to roots. Last week we looked at the Westminster Shorter uh, Catechism. And that first question, what is the chief end of a human being? What's our purpose? What's our aim? What are we here for? And it responds by saying, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. This great high claim. We're going to fast forward about 300 years and we're going to move to Germany. And we're going to look at the Barman Declaration. And I'm going to invite you to recite the first stanza with me. It'll be on the screen. How many people have read the Barman Declaration before? Perfect. Okay. Church, what do you believe? Jesus Christ, as he is attested for us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as a source of its proclamation, apart from and besides this one word of God, still other events and powers, figures and truths as God's revelation. And we have two scripture passages that kind of undergird or provide foundation for this statement. They both come from the Gospel of John, John 14 and John 10. Open your eyes, your hearts, your minds and your ears for the word of the Lord. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then from John 10, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in another way is a thief and a bandit. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that you might te teach us and speak a word that only you can speak. Lord, that you might teach us to reject the idolatries of our lives that tempt us and that we might hear your voice as you speak of who you are, really are. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On the night of February 27th, 1933, the newly elected Chancellor of Germany, Adolf Hitler, received news that an arson had set fire to the Reichstag building in Germany. It's in Berlin. It's where the home of the German parliament was. Hitler was eager to consolidate his power, so he quickly blamed the fire on the Communist Party. He used it as, as, as evidence that there was a rebellion rising in Germany. 
And immediately Hitler declared a decree of the Reich president for the safety of the nation and state. This decree granted him kind of unparalleled political power. It suspended the constitution, replaced the regular judicial courts with his own tribunals. From that point forward, when the people heard Hitler's voice, they thought they were hearing the voice of God. They treated Hitler as if he was God's spokesperson. This raises a question for all of us. Has God ever spoken to you? What did God sound like? What was the message? What words did God use? Who or what did God speak through? This is one of the biggest questions of religion. Who speaks for God? I knew a young woman once who was in college and a boy asked her out. He said to her, he said, God told me that we're supposed to go on a date. She said, that's funny. He failed to mention it to me. (laughs) Or maybe you've seen the one about Susie who went into her teacher, Mrs. Westwood, and said, Mrs. Westwood, God told me not to do my homework. These are humorous. But sometimes the use of God's voice can be more pernicious. The homophobe who declares, God told me the gays would go to hell. The abused wife who says, God told me to obey my husband. The warrior who says, God told me to punish the infidels. The wealthy couple who claims, God told us we're special. The red hat wearing man, God told me to get rid of the foreigners. The disturbed young man, God told me to burn down the school. The priest who claims, God told me to keep a secret. And at the end of the cartoon, the young girl looks up to heaven and says, well, This raises an issue I'm sure we've all wrestled with at certain points in our lives. Who speaks for God? Who speaks for God? This is the precise question that the Barman Declaration was answering and wrestling with. A year after Hitler had come to power, a group of pastors and theologians got together. They met in Frankfurt, Germany to discuss this question. And lucky Luckily, in that group, there was a Swiss theologian named Karl Barth, and he had spent his life wrestling with this question, who speaks for God? After a long day of traveling and talking, the theologians and pastors went to take a nap. Only Karl Barth stayed up. (laughs) And while he was there, he wrote the sixth stanza declaration that we know as the Barman Declaration. In a letter, he said he was fortified by strong coffee and one or two Brazilian cigars. (laughs) Two weeks later, church leaders gathered in, in Barman, and they adopted the declaration without amendment. And listen how the opening statement answers our question about who speaks for God. Jesus Christ, as he is attested for us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. Jesus Christ, his life, his teachings, his death, and his resurrection show us who God is. And how do we know about Jesus' life and what he taught? Because of Holy Scripture. Jesus Christ stands at the center of Scripture. The Old Testament anticipation, the New Testament in witness. All Scripture is read through that center. 
the one Word of God, Jesus Christ. Why is He the center? Because He's the Word of God, the Word made flesh. I know some of you are thinking, wait, (laughs) I thought the Bible was the Word of God. The Bible is a secondary witness to the primary witness who is Jesus Christ. Without the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we have no Bible. We do not worship the Bible. Worshiping the Bible, that's bibliolatry. That's turning a created thing into an idol. Now, this is a mistake that people often make when they compare Christianity and Islam. Did you know that the Quran cannot be translated out of Arabic and remain the Quran? You have to read the Quran in Arabic, or it's no longer the Quran. So when people compare the Quran with the Bible, they're making a category mistake. See, Christians believe that the Bible can be translated. Translate it. Paraphrase it. Paint pictures. Make it into a children's Bible. Make it simple. Make it fancy. Use red letters. Use black letters. Whatever. Just get the message out there. See, the the corollary to the Quran in Christianity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. There's an audacious exclusivity here about who speaks for God. Jesus speaks for God. He's the one word of God we have to hear and we have to trust in both life and in death. If that exclusivity ruffles your feathers, ruffled a lot of feathers in Germany too. You see, at the time, there was what they called German Christians. Most of the church, both Protestant and Catholic, endorsed, supported Hitler. They cheered him on. Religion, patriotism, nationalism, militarism all came together. We're all tied up together. They assumed that Nazi socialism and Hitler's rule was the the will of God for the German people and for the world. And the people who came together as a small group to vote and endorse the Barman Declaration were called the Confessing Church. Confessing Church because they confessed their faith in the face of great evil. Confessed their faith about what they believe. We trust in Jesus Christ. Many of them were imprisoned. Some were kicked out of the country. Some paid the ultimate price for their faith. Folks like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Alice Katowska suffered persecution and paid with their lives. How could people be so easily deceived by what clearly is evil? It's a question I've often asked. After the conclusion of the war, Albert Speer was asked this very question. Speer had endorsed and supported Hitler from a very early time. He went on to become known as Hitler's architect. Eventually, he, after the war, he was convicted in Nuremberg. He was sentenced for 20 years to prison. He wrote two autobiographies that are models in self-deception. One of them is called Inside the Third Reich. Someone asked Albert Speer, how did you not know what Hitler was doing was evil? And Speer responded, it's hard to know the devil when his hand is on your shoulder. It's hard to know the devil when his hand is on your shoulder. How do we know if, if it's the devil's hand on our shoulder? This was an issue for theologians in the Middle Ages. See, there's this passage in the book of Hebrews that says, you should show hospitality to whoever comes to your door because you never know when you might be entertaining an angel and you don't know it. 
But in the Middle Ages, they began to ask, well, how do we know if it's, a middle, if, if it's an angel or if it's a demon disguised as an angel? How can we tell the difference? How do we know? How do we know if it's really God's messenger? And the opening statement of the Barman Declaration deals with this question. See, there's six stanzas. We read the first. And in each stanza, there's a statement about what we are for, and then there's a statement about what we reject. This is what we're against. Notice the statement of rejection in the first stanza. It reads, we reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as a source of its proclamation, apart from and besides this one word of God, still other events and powers, figures and truths as God's revelation. Notice, they never mention Hitler's name. They don't want to give him any free publicity. But also, they want this confession, this statement to stand up for time and history, for every context, for every time, for every place. Because there will always be idols tempting us to, to worship them. John Calvin famously said the human heart is an idol factory. We continually want to invest infinite value into finite things. Things in our lives tempt us into worshiping them as God. And by not referring to he who shall not be named, the theological declaration at Barman says you can use this to protect yourself against idolatry in every context, in every country, at every time. Only the word of God revealed in Jesus Christ is God's revelation for us. The only person who tells us who God is, is Jesus. The one word of God which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. The supremacy of Christ relativizes all events and powers, figures and other truths that would seek our ultimate allegiance. These false gods come in the form of political figures, but they also can be things like power and wealth, beauty, fame, and pride. But false gods will only seek to enslave you, to steal your joy, to prevent you from flourishing. I'm reminded of the words of David Foster Wallace, the author. He gave in his commencement speech at Kenyon University. Wallace is not a Christian, but he has an insight into the seductiveness of idolatry. Listen to this. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. These totalitarianisms, these small gods seek to suffocate us, to enslave us. They can come in the form of a Hitler, but they also can come in other events and ideas, truths and powers. The question is, will we recognize them for what they are? We only hear and worship God because of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ has revealed to us, who God is. Many years later, after the Barman Declaration, the theologian Karl Barth reflected on this truth, the seductiveness of idolatry. He writes this, 
What marks out God above all false gods is that they are not capable and ready for this. In their otherworldliness, supernaturalness, and otherness, these gods are a reflection of human pride which will not unbend, which will not stoop to the witches beneath it. But God is not proud. In his high majesty, he is humble. It is in this high humility that he speaks and acts as the God who reconciles the world to himself. God's reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. And when you find your foundation on Jesus Christ, you find freedom. That's what the Barman Declaration tells us. Many people witnessed this. No less than Albert Einstein testified to the courage of the confessing church when he said, only the church stood squarely across the path of Hitler's campaign for suppressing the truth. The church alone has had the courage to stand for intellectual and moral freedom. Einstein, the, the church alone, founded on Jesus Christ, we find freedom. And in the end, I love Blaise Pascal's comforting words about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the God whom we can approach without pride and before whom we can humble ourselves without despair. Jesus is the God whom we can approach without pride and before whom we can humble ourselves without despair. He's the one word of God we have to trust and obey in life and in death. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this one word you've spoken to us in Jesus Christ. You're reconciling the world to yourself. I pray that we might trust and obey you in life and in death. That our lives, this church, and world might be founded on that great truth. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.